Welcome to the best of the Tim Fowler Show. Season five will begin on September 21st with a live recording at the Remodeler Summit. Until then, enjoy our best of the Tim Fowler Show series. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be talking about decent human being theory with the help of special guest Nick Slavic, Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company in New Prague, Minnesota. Alongside Tim Fowler, I'm your co-host Steve Wheeler. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone, Tim Fowler here and welcome to the Tim Fowler Show. Like I say every time, uh, keep sending those ideas in. Uh, we're currently looking for clients of remodelers and trades that uh, may be good to have on just to talk about their experience and what makes a great remodeler or a great painter for that matter uh, and uh, and or a trade contractor that you think is a great uh, service and help to your company we'd love to have uh, someone on from those parts of our world so send me an email at tim at remodelersadvantage.com and uh, I'd love to chat with them. So our guest today was recommended to us by another one of our guests and his initial uh, recommendation was to talk about standard operating procedures and training. And so obviously anyone that's listened to the show very much knows that Steve and I are very, very active in promoting training throughout all of our trades and trying to get people to uh, embrace the fact that we can't just go out and find people that are skilled like we used to be able to. And so um, I got in touch with our guest today and it turns out he has some great ideas about a lot of things. And so we're going to go into a couple of different areas today uh, and, and chat. But again, the main idea was talking about standard operating procedures. And a lot of people talk about them. A lot of people make commitments to say like, I'm gonna put these all together and we're gonna have you know, this great you know, manual and very little gets done often by a number of people. And then even then, if they do get written, quite often they'll, they'll be put on a shelf. They're put in a binder and they're put on a shelf and very rarely uh, ever used. And so it's gonna be fun, I think, today to talk to a, a contractor uh, that actually has put these together and uses them and has some pretty unique ideas about uh, people and training. So Steve, let's get started. Great, so Nick Slavic is the proprietor of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company, host of Ask a Painter Live and contributes to this old house. He has been a national and international speaker on topics such as entrepreneurship, craftspersonship, Trades Reformation, working with millennials, harnessing technology for trades business, financial benchmarks, industry standards, and coding science. Nick has been a craftsman for more than 25 years. His company has been awarded more than five national awards for craftsmanship over the last three years. He has created a rigorous apprenticeship program where he finds, trains, inspires, and mentors young people in his craft. In 2018, he was made a family member at this old house. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Hey, this is great. So give us a little bit more information about your business. Obviously, you're a 
painting contractor. Tell us a little bit about, about what, not only what you do, but maybe the size of your business and where you're located again. Yeah, we're in the Southwest Metro, uh, just outside of Minneapolis and St. Paul, where a lot of the building is taking place. We're, we're very fortunate. There's a lot of activity remodeling and building here. We have about 25 employees, uh, 25 craftspeople, and a leadership team of four uh, that, that assist to run the business. And um, yeah, we, we're actually, uh, we have a full-scale finishing shop as well uh, to facilitate that uh, too. And we're mostly a residential repaint contractor. So we do new construction, we do industrial, we do commercial, but really we work for people who own houses and currently live there in them. So are you, do you work with remodeling contractors or do you mostly work with the general public? Yeah, if you think I'm picky about letting employees into my business, I'm even more picky with builders and general contractors because they can <laughs> they can lay havoc to a good subcontractor like me. So uh, this is the world you guys dwell in, but man, I am very like, you know, yes, uh, we do work for uh, a handful of very select home builders, general contractors, people where their systems and processes mesh with ours well. Yeah, that's great, great. You know, because I, I, I joke with, uh, people all the time in our business about like what we think of trade contractors. And then this is a, I, this is going to be a quote I use uh, quite often, like, because, because we just don't appreciate the fact that we give our trade contractors a lot of trouble sometimes. And that's part of the reason why we have so much trouble in reverse. So thank you for uh, bringing that out. All right. So well, we I, named listen, this podcast. I will, I will say the same Oh, I, I'm sorry. I will say the same thing. We're, subcontractors are horrible too. So don't worry about that. <laughs> the blame isn't all one way. Like, listen, I know I work with a lot of subcontractors. We've started carpentry and drywall in my business because some contractors are so bad that their systems don't mesh. We had to, we had to bring it in house. So the blame doesn't go one way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So we named this podcast, the decent human being theory. Uh, that was uh, one of the things that you communicated to us. What is that? What is that theory? Well, the decent human being, uh, the, the decent human being theory was not something that I dreamt out a whole cloth and, and sort of was a genius to come up with. It was more of like, I'm not finding any people you would call experienced painters that meet my core values that would actually paint anything. So I just was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to stop banging my head against the wall. I'm going to stop looking for those air quote, you know, experience painters. I'm just going to go find really good people, inspire them and teach them to paint. And that has been an insanely good strategy because most of our trades, especially painting is very easy to teach. And everybody in the trades goes after people who already have experience because we don't want to teach. We don't want to take the time to slow down, but we run into all the problems where, yeah, but that guy, yeah, you don't really want to hang around with him. He's a little rough around the edges, but he can paint. And what I found over the years is that number one, I don't want to hang around with these people and they also can't paint either. So you're not even getting the upside of like, well, at least they can paint. So I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to fill a company full of people that I would have hang around my family. We all share the same core values. And you know what? The painting is the easy part after all that. So you mentioned, uh, early on that you have 25 team members or employees in, in the business there. How many of them have you brought in with either very little or no experience and actually brought them up to be 
I mean, I'm sure some are still learning and training, but have brought people up to be good painters. Two people in my company could be considered previous painters. And, okay. and even that, they've only been doing it for a few years. All the rest of them are from the decent human being, decent human being theory and my farm team. And um, I actually just calculated this the other day. Uh, of 25 employees, if you add up all their years of service, divide by 25, we average about seven or eight months of painting experience on average. Wow. And people pay you to paint? We won national awards for our quality. <laughs> Decent human beings are do amazing things. You know, uh, it's, yeah, it's again, the proof's in the pudding. Like, uh, yeah, I would love to have 10 and 20 year, you know, experienced craftspeople, but come in every time they bring them in, they're a culture bomb. And it turns out my one year craftspeople can run circles around them. So when you say a culture bomb, what does that mean? Give me, give us a good, a little bit of an example about what your culture is versus what, an experienced painter might bring and be that bomb? Yeah, most of it has to do with um, minimal personal chaos outside of the business so they can actually focus on the trade. Uh, we want uh, our first core value in the company is trust. And if we don't trust somebody, you know, it's again, you go down that thing, listen, I'm not going to give him a company van. I don't know if he's going to show up today, but listen, when he does show up, he can paint like, like the devil. That's not something we want to dwell in. We have to trust you. We have to trust that when we send you into people's bedrooms, bathrooms, homes, nurseries, everything else, trust is number one. And really, we just need trustworthy people. So really, when we bring people in who don't share those cultural values with us, it's like, yeah, five minute late is on time. Yeah, my shirt's untucked. It's all the little indicators of a larger untrustworthiness where we can't trust them to follow our standard operating procedures or be a very small thing about the culture is, you know, showing up on time and doing the things we want them to. A larger part is, are you happy? Do you even like this work? Are you inspiring to the young people? Because if we bring in an old dog in the industry, man or woman, and they, and they talk bad about the trader, yeah, I can't wait till Friday and all this other stuff. You're looking at all my beautiful, delicate, little decent human beings in this business. And that's not the inspiration that we're trying to do. We need people who love training, love this trade and, and inculcate that love of the trade in these young people. Okay, so I want to I want to kind of drop back. Like, how how do you find, where does this start with a person? Do you, are you are you going into high schools or colleges or uh, vacant parking lots where people are just hanging out? Where does this start? I'm just I don't know if anybody can tell, but I'm getting kind of excited here. This is uh, where does this start if to bring a person in? Yeah. So again, when go on Craigslist, uh, go on Facebook, go on Indeed and just search help wanted painter. And you're going to find the same thing, which is must have three to five years of experience, must lift 50 pounds, must have driver's license. Nothing about that is inspiring. Nothing about that is about, oh my God, I love this craft. We're building one of the, this freedom machine. We're this thing where people who are involved with this business work only four days a week and get a full paycheck. And we're a family and we have core values and we're doing work worthy of a national award. What you see is 50 pounds, driver's license, you know, must have experience. So if you, if you go to Craigslist and you put in that same ad, magically you're going to find the same people. So number one, millennials are my target. Right now, they're 19 to 38, give or take. Uh, they're basically all of the people in, in, in the range where we need to get into the trades. 
and you have to go where millennials go. So you go to Facebook, Job Marketplace, you go to Indeed, you go to ZipRecruiter, you go to more professional sites than Craigslist. Now Craigslist does work, and regionally, I know painters uh, and other contractors who, for Denver, Craigslist finds all the millennials. But you go down into Tampa, there's not a millennial on Craigslist, and it's so regional. But again, if you start off with Facebook, if you start off with Indeed, and you go to ZipRecruiter, and you're heavy on social media, you're going to have a better chance of targeting those millennials. All right. So, man, you have just struck a chord with me because I've done these <laughs> seminars with people, and I'm telling them, look, you know, I, I owned a car carpentry business after two years experience, you know? It's like, I don't need five years experience to work for you. But that's the ads that people put out there. So, I'm just... I'm wondering what what do your Facebook uh, approaches say? What what does it say to people that grabs their attention enough to want to be a painter? Yeah, so you know the the game on Facebook and Instagram is you got to get people to stop for half a second. They're scrolling and they're scrolling and it's all visual. So number one, I use very artful images of things you wouldn't expect to find in a help wanted ad. So you do a sunset in one of my vans or a black and white picture of two of my young people painting something, women, men, everything else. You make it very artful so that it just stops somebody in their tracks. You need a half a second of their time. Um, I have done as minimal as, I love my job more than anybody else you're ever gonna meet. If you make the cut, you're part of my family, I'll show you how to love your job too. <laughs> and it, it says nothing about painting. It is, it's, it's all about finding people who are in this unfulfilled cubicle world where they're just being tossed around. They don't feel like they're part of a team, unappreciated. And they're like, hey, you know what? Well, it turns out if you look at the painting industry, ask everybody here who planned on being a painter when they were in kindergarten, almost nobody is going to raise their hand. I grew up in a painting family and I'd probably be hesitant about it. So seeing that really nobody has dreamt of this their whole life, we have to inspire those people from outside the industry. So basically my, my plan is I see a lot of people out there, especially millennials who do not love their job and they spend more time with their job than with their own families and friends. So I'm just making a play on, I love this. I'm one of the rare people who, who live and sleep this. There's nothing I love more than this on the planet. If you want to come work with me, at least you'll get a taste, you know? Yeah. So I think, that's so fantastic because I think remodelers, I mean, I think the people that are listening to this podcast are exactly that same way. They, they do this because they love it. It's not because, oh, I just have to put a paycheck on the table. It's something that they love. In fact, they love it so much that they often uh, sacrifice the paycheck to, <laughs> for the sake of being themselves. Yes. <laughs> so this is so, so key. And that's just a, such a great thing. So, Love all of that. So how did you get to the idea of, I have to put some standard things in place. You know, we can call it SOP or whatever, but there's got to be some standard things in place. And how did you kind of come to that realization? And how did you actually get started putting these things into place? Yeah, so even before SOPs were a thing, and, and I don't know what it looks like in the rest of the contracting world, but in the painting world, systems and processes has been the buzzword for about two years now. I need systems. I need processes. I'm not making money. I'm working 20 hours a day because there's no systems and processes. And then I don't know if you guys have found this. It doesn't really go much farther than there. People, are, people like the idea, but then not a lot happens. So what 
years and years ago, probably a decade ago, when I used to be in the field training every one of my apprentices and crew leader myself, all these were just verbal SOPs. Like, listen, here is how you paint the bedroom. There's eight steps that you follow. And because I've done hundreds and thousands of them, I just know these off the top of my head. So it always starts almost in every company as verbal. Like, I'm there. I can hold people accountable. I can tell them how to do it. And I can make corrections along the way. When I remove myself from the field, when we had enough critical mass where the people I've trained can then train other people, then it was basically like, listen, now we need to write these down because we just need to make sure everybody's doing it. And when, when people send us pictures of job sites or other things, and we see something that might not be SOP correct, then we say, hey, listen, I think you might have missed step eight. And then everybody can refer to step eight and, you know, one of those things. So as the company grew, it had to move from verbal to written. And that's, that's been a huge help. Come out to the coast, we'll get together, have a few laughs. Join us September 21st and 22nd for the annual Remodeler Summit at Gaylord National Resort and Convention Center, just outside D.C. This year's theme, Homecoming, the art of building a remarkable culture, because culture eats strategy for breakfast. Featuring two-time best-selling author Deanne Turner, Joe Cursillo, the mind shark, and Henna Pryor, the secret weapon for impossible change. Plus 40 visionary speakers, 36 high-octane workshops, four education tracks, and of course, our legendary welcome party. Are you ready for homecoming? Visit RemodelerSummit.com to learn more. Okay, great. So how did, they, how did they actually get written down? Did you write them down or did you, because I've, I've advocated for some companies to kind of do a mind meld with two or three of their really good people like sitting down and like, let's just spout off the, the things that we do. And then, then all you have to do is kind of put them in the right order. So how did, how did you actually get them written down and and where do they live now are they in a book are they computerized or where, where do they live now yeah so we run the entire company uh through through cloud computing so basically there's a there's a thing that everybody in the company can access all the sops are there not only do we have the full standard operating procedures i did something which i'm a huge fan of simplification because i know uh, a, a system is only as good as the, the people's willingness to sort of operate it or follow it. So you can't have a 47 page document on how to restore a Victorian home. It needs to be one page, a couple checklists of major items, and then we train in between there. So one of, one of my big pet peeves with the SOPs is I get a lot of people because of the whole ask a painter thing saying, how do you even create these things? If I might be a bad example, but I created every SOP in my company in one hour because I've, I've been in this industry for 28 years and I've done it all. I've painted everything. And I basically sat down, how do you paint a bedroom? Here's 23 steps. I can, I can start off right from my head. I can, I can tell you from memory how to paint the outside of a house, inside of a house, restore a Victorian home, paint a ceiling, do trim, do cabinets, because I've done it. Now, that might be an advantage. Uh, it might be more hard and it might be more uh, useful for somebody to sit down their craftspeople if you have not done a bunch of this and ask them how to do it. But um, yeah, that's how I did it. I mean, I, everybody always asks me, Oh my God, how do you even start? I've heard it takes six months. It took me an hour. If you know how to do your job, all you do is write down the major steps. 
Okay, so how many how many SOPs do you have? Uh, we basically have um, uh, lining them up here. We do major items, so there's probably fourteen or fifteen. Okay, all right. So so I guess you know one of the things that I've tried to get people to think about is that it's often more than just the step, but it sometimes it's the why of the step that really makes the difference. Is that kind of in there as well for you in terms of these, uh, these SOPs? Yeah, this goes back to the training SOP versus the SOP checklist. And yep. it took me an hour to write down all the checklists for the field. Like, here's the thing, you move the furniture, you lay the drop cloths, you tape the woodwork, you patch the walls, you know, all those, the main steps like there. I wrote those SOP checklists in an hour, but when we, we go more in depth with the training and I, uh, in, in years past, um, well, not in years past, currently what we do now is we have the people that I hand trained training those people and we train in between those. So the main training, like when I, I, I do a, a master's class, which I travel around the country with and explain uh, the coding science of cabinet and trim finishing, that's a three and a half hour presentation, you know, 120 uh, slides, videos, time-lapse videos. That's what we give to the company every once in a while. And then that condensed down is the checklist. So we do go through the actual coding science of why oil primer works what's mechanical versus chemical adhesion and things like that. So, yeah. So do you actually have a, a list that says if I, if I bring a, uh, you know, somebody in that's never painted, let's just say they've never painted except, you know, they painted their bedroom one time or maybe they painted their bedroom when they weren't supposed to, you know, it's like, so uh, do you have like a, a list of things that you want that person to learn over the next, six months and then the next year and then, or something, something like that. Yeah. Uh, what, what we call an apprenticeship. Um, I called an apprenticeship basically because I didn't want to, I didn't want to call people employees. Uh, you know, you're trying to elevate, you're trying to, you know, and it is more of a teaching and learning thing. It's not a, somebody that I can just plug in. So there's four major steps and we have quarterly reviews with everybody in the company. I'll actually be doing those uh, this week with everybody in the company. And we basically give them three month goals. Uh, we call them GSRs, goal setting and review meetings. And we basically just sit down and say, listen, in, we have a track record of turning people from apprentices to what we consider craftspeople in one year. Everybody who stays with me more than a year does magical work. It's usually under budget. They take care of clients like nobody's business. They adhere to all our core values. So our goal is to get people to stay for a year and hit four kind of major milestones, which is at the end of, um, at the end of quarter one, we want you to be able to prep autonomously. Now, that doesn't mean that you're only going to be prepping during your first three months. You're going to be painting and spraying and scraping and all this other stuff. But we want you to be able to prep a basic job autonomously. Uh, at, the second, uh, at the second quarter, we want you to be able to paint a standard bedroom wall in four hours. And we test people on this. At uh, month, uh, excuse me, at quarter three, we want them to be able to operate uh, spray equipment autonomously. Now, they may not be able to spray everything we do, but we want them to get paint in, adjust the pressure, and at least be able to adjust a tip and things. And then at the end of a year, we want them to have a, the ability to autonomous, autonomously do one of our basic jobs. Can we send you to a house with our standard gear and you can paint these two bedrooms today? That's all we care about. So we basically track people along the way. Um, and we, we don't set up those goals in order to find ways to fire people. We set those goals up so that we can point out where we need more training and attention. 
So you mentioned very quickly that you test on this. Is this, how, how is that test applied? Is it a, a supervisor visiting the job where they're working and just seeing, watching what they do or seeing the end result or how is that testing done? This is a very interesting self-regulating system. So by the time the test comes around, the people, the people who are there for the test always pass it because they're still there. By, by you know, <laughs> the month six or month nine, uh, most of the people who, who would fail the test aren't with the company anymore because they've done other things. You know, core value number one is trust. Core value number five is produce. I don't care if they produce. If we can't trust them, they're gone. So by the time we get to test them on production, if we can't trust them, they've already been fired. So it's kind of a weird system where we don't really have to test people. At month six or month nine, if you just randomly sample my people, they could all do it because they've been here. Nick, when you uh, have a new employee coming in and you're showing them your level of quality, is it visual along with verbal? So, you know, I want the trim to look this way. I want the paint to match this way. Um, so how do you either verbalize, dictate, or show them exactly what it should look like? And is that in field? How is it? It's all in the field. Um, we, uh, in our facility right now, we're, we're crafting some training rooms and we're going to be starting an interesting experiment to see how much training we can get outside of the field before we bump people into the field. But traditionally, all of our training has been in the field. On somebody's first day of ever holding a paintbrush, they're in somebody's house under the guidance of one of our craftspeople. And that's where the SOP checklist will tell them, this is what needs to be done today for this project. But the wisdom comes from the craftsperson on site who is already on board with our core values and our SOPs. And a lot of that stuff has to be filled in. And I think, I think when people think of an SOP, they think of an 87-page book that the, all their employees are reading on the job site. And it's never going to be followed. So I, I'm a believer of I would rather do a simple process that skips out a lot of things and have everybody comply with it than having the perfect process that everybody disregards because it's so clunky. So what we do is that SOP checklist, but then the, the experienced people in the field basically tell them. That's, that's applause from me. Yeah. I yeah. think that's so important. <laughs> that's amazing. That's awesome. That's so, that's so cool. Well, listen, I, yeah. It helps that my natural personality is to simplify things. Yeah. And it just, it turns out it's a great way to train people too. Yeah. 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 So how do you, I guess one of the, like I've been talking to a lot of different, in fact, just recently I was working with a company and one of their big challenges was training. And the question always comes up like, well, how are we going to pay for this? Because our job budgets are to so tight that if I put an apprentice on the job with, let's say, Tim, and I say, Tim, teach this guy how to do crown mold or in your case, paint, you know, it's going to slow Tim down and, you know, that's going to bust the budget. So how do you financially account for the fact that you're continually bringing new people in training, some stay, some don't, you know, so there's always going to be an expenditure there that may not pay off in the end. That's another thing remodelers are all tight about is like, what about if this person, if I spend, you know, a thousand, ten thousand dollars to train this person, then they just go go work with somebody else. You know what? What? How do you deal with that whole thing? Yeah. So, um, real most real businesses have an R and D budget, research and development. 
yeah. the trades is like the only industry, well, there's others, but there are no such things as research and development. And we are in the human development thing and people want to, to, to devote no time or treasure to human development. And I just basically say, listen, I have devoted myself to the decent human being theory. And if I'm going to devote myself to that, I have to be willing to invest a lot of time and a lot of money in this stuff. What I've found is there is no substitute for direct human to human contact and holding people accountable and, and constant immediate correction in order to bring people up to speed very quickly. If you want to spend the least amount of money on your R&D budget for this stuff, you have to only bring decent human beings in. Um, I've found people, and this, this, this goes down a thousand different ways, but basically the higher level stock you bring into your company, the quicker they learn. And we actually disc profile and personality test everybody in the company, and it gives you an indication this person is going to be a rock star. They're going to get it right away, but then they're going to need attention here. Or this person is going to take a full year, but what you get out of it is just like absolute perfection or, or you know, um, they, they're with your product. So it's one of those things where you have to be willing to do this. Um, I'm a very impatient person. So I, what we did was even this year, we hired 13 people in two months in December and January when a lot of other trades companies lay their people off. Only two of those people had prior experience and we just said, you know what, fire up that line of credit, uh, make sure you got a lot of cash on hand and you know what, I don't wanna wait. I don't wanna hire one to two people a year because the attrition rate in the trades is one to two years. So basically, if you only hire and train one to two people a year, you're never gonna grow past that. So I'm just like, you know what, I have the willingness, we have the ability, we have the treasure to do this, get 13 people in here, I would rather train 13 than one. So much of Remodeler's Advantage and many of whom listen to this podcast are associated with the DISC profile. So I sometimes hear my listeners out there going like, ask this question, Tim, ask this question. And so what do you use the DISC? And if you do, give, give us the, the perfect profile. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So this doesn't exist. Uh, it, it, uh, when I dispro, I have a 72 page uh, report yep. uh, on every employee that comes into this company. And it, we, we focus, the disc is just sort of at the DISC, the actual DISC is actually more of like just a quick visual indicator. What we look at is the motivators uh, okay. and we look at skills. And uh, so basically I took the test, like I was my own perfect craftsperson and it put a dot on the dartboard, the disc profile dartboard. And I try to get as close to that because it has the perfect example of self-starting and compliance with processes and like family. I want to be part of a team sort of thing. I've had success with people all over the wheel, but you have to understand that high D is going to learn. Um, uh, the high social is might be a culture bomb, but they bring work in under budget regularly. They're, they need to be around people. They have the most ass. They're the most needy. They're kind of time vampires of you. Um, the high compliance people will do your processes perfectly, but they will not turn in a job under budget for over a year. But when they do, then you never get a call back for the rest of the time in your life. So it's just one of those like, and most of my production managers are one thing. I'm the high D. Most of my painters are here, but I've, I've honestly had success with all of it. Each profile just gives you an indication of how much training or what kind of training. Yeah, that's that's so that's so much the way I understand it and the way I see it. I just uh, if this is such a an amazing conversation, 
Um, <laughs> I guess, I guess maybe we're, we, unfortunately we're going to have you back on because there's just so much, uh, to mine in this, uh, this brain of yours that we're going to have you back on sometime, maybe in a couple of months. I'm going to, when we get off this, we're going to put you right on the list, but what would you recommend to people as we're wrapping up to, to get started on this kind of thing, whether it's maybe, maybe two different areas, three different areas. Let's, let's talk about getting started on hiring decent human beings two writing up the SOPs and then three, training the decent human beings that you've brought into the company? Yeah, so all three of these things can be solved with a mindset change uh, from the owner or the operator themselves. So number one with, with hiring, you need to basically say, I am going to devote a year of my time to training this person. At the end of that year, if that person is still here, they're gonna live and die this company, this craft. They're gonna, they're gonna run through a brick wall for my clients. That's the, you just have to change the mindset of, I am going to devote a lot of time to this person. It's not one of those, I'm going to hire this decent human being. I'm going to inspire them to get into the trades. I'm going to show them how to do things for a week and set them loose. They need to be continually inspired until they can be autonomous. Um, what was the, what was the second one? The SOPs? Yeah. Getting started on the SOPs. Absolutely. Uh, simplicity always wins. Uh, I had a client who was an engineer, like a mechanical engineer, and we were talking about the complexity of things. And I love complex little trinkets and jigs and things that people make. And he's like, honestly, those are cool. And I like those too. But simplicity always wins. If somebody designs a Rube Goldberg machine to solve a problem, you have overlooked about a thousand simple fixes for that problem that would actually be better in the long run. Like this is cool, but that's better. So, uh, and what was the third one? Uh, just the whole training, getting getting going on training. Yeah, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's that mindset shift of this person is going to need a lot of guidance, but that's why you got them here. They're, you could bring people into your a company that don't want to be involved with you and don't want guidance, but they're going to do a lot of untoward things to our clients' houses, and we do not want that. So you want needy people and people who are constantly needing to be inspired for that because you're gonna you're gonna invest more but you're gonna get a way better product out at the end so uh, I don't know you probably don't know but you have hit on eight or ten of my favorite <laughs> <laughs> topics and or let's get busy industry and and do some of these things and like I said we'll have you back on this has been absolutely fantastic I hope the listeners get as inspired by it as I, I have been. And uh, if I get to Minneapolis sometime, I'm going to look you up because I want to sit and either have coffee or tea or something with you because I'd love to pick your brain some more. Thank you so much. It, it'd be my pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Nick. Take care. Thanks so much. So, Tim, uh, I feel like we're going to have an equally long show with the wrap-up here. <laughs> <laughs> so give me some of your notes. Oh my goodness! I I start, I was scribbling so fast. Oh, I saw I saw I you can, pounding away on I that pad. Well, one of the big things that just popped out, which came out in another podcast, is uh, quarterly reviews and yes. setting goals for people. Yes. it's just such a, such a fundamental uh, concept. The idea of hiring the right people, decent people, and then investing in them. And this is a drumbeat that I've been been having. I, I talk to people contractors, I say, what's your training budget? 
and they look at me like I have six eyes and three noses and they go like, what do you, what do you mean? And I go like, well, what percentage of your annual budget is for training? And people just have got to get away from the idea that I'm going to find all these people that have all the skills I want and they're going to want to work for me. Just pre-mixed um, and ready to yeah, go. Doesn't yeah. exist. And this whole idea of, of marketing or advertising, and I, I just, I don't know if everybody heard me, but he started talking about five years in your own truck and all your own tools. And I went like, oh my goodness, he's saying exactly what I've been saying for years. We got to quit that stuff, get people in, train them, and then give them some responsibility if they fit to what we need. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for somebody that's, you know, ready mixed, ready to go, you know, how are they, do you have a company culture to fit into? Because they're, you know, how would they ever adapt or, or, or learn that, you know, to fit in correctly? My, I think my, the greatest thing I saw was forget these complex SOPs, <laughs> 10 pages. If it is three steps, you know, yeah. you'll fill in the next four if you need to. Start yeah. with simplicity and make them, get them done. It, it yeah. means nothing to have a huge SOP list if they're not doing them or yeah. don't understand how to do them. The other thing, and you know, Steve, I'm, I'm not big into social media. You know, it's been a real challenge for me to kind of adapt that. I don't know if I ever will. I didn't know that about you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I just wonder, I'm sitting here wondering how many contractors as part of their Facebook page or some other Facebook page. In other words, there's one page for your clients yep. and maybe there's another page that has what he calls artful imaging mm -hmm. and something that'll, and that point about catching somebody's attention with something that, that just just sucks them in so they'll pay attention for a few minutes and, and maybe be the person that you want. But I've talked about this with the contractors a lot, like uh, trade show uh, booths or home show booths, Facebook pages. Do you have something on there that's attracting people to your business other than clients? Yeah. Spend a lot of time and energy trying to bring clients in but yeah. not nearly enough trying to bring in new employees. Well, this was fantastic. We want to thank Nick for joining us today. And we always want to thank you for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Want to hire Tim and fast track your growth? Visit remodelersadvantage.com slash consulting to learn more. And if you'd like more information about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program, please send me an email at steve at remodelersadvantage.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.